This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Researcher, author Lisa Peace has been researching the assassination of Bobby Kennedy For more than a quarter of a century, her book, A Lie Too Big to Fail, The Real History of the Assassination of Robert F. Kennedy, contends that the supposed gunman, Sirhan Sirhan, is innocent. Witnesses who had details of the conspiracy were silenced by the LAPD, and evidence was deliberately altered and, in some cases, destroyed. Sirhan Sirhan continues to languish in prison at the Robert J. Donovan Correctional Facility in San Diego, California, and he is to receive yet another parole hearing on August the 27th. I believe this will be his 16th parole hearing. Sirhan, of course, was visited in prison by Bobby Kennedy Jr. back in 2017, and uh, Bobby Jr. concluded after months of his own research that Sirhan was not responsible for his father's murder. Coming up in hour two, an update on the miracle molecule carbon-60. Research scientist and engineer Chris Burris will be here to talk about the latest studies on ESS-60. That's the consumable form of carbon-60. Carlos Kajina is my technical producer. Ryan White is my live stream producer. Now, we are recording tonight's show, uh, but we will not be live streaming. Ryan is uh, up north at the uh, the cottage and um, won't be able to live stream, but he is recording it and it will be posted on the YouTube channel Strange Planet in the next couple of days. And of course, you'll also find it on Rumble. Go to rumble.com, rumble.com and search under channel, channels rather, for Richard Serrett or Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Eventually moving everything over to rumble.com. All right, let's get into the RFK assassination and the upcoming parole hearing of Sirhan Sirhan. Lisa Peace is 
author, the author of A Lie Too Big to Fail, The Real History of the Assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. Based on more than two decades of investigative research, Pisa's recently published book has already been hailed as a magnum opus of RFK assassination research by the acclaimed author of JFK and the unspeakable James Douglas. Pease was previously published in a collection of essays titled The Assassinations Probe Magazine on JFK, MLK, RFK, and Malcolm X. Lisa, welcome. How are you? Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me on. And, My pleasure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the wonderful introduction. Uh, I'm also in Oliver Stone's film. I understand you talked to Jim DiEugenio about that last week. I Yes, the only through the looking glass. That's right. Yes, you are. Yes, Congratulations. I'm a living researcher who has studied both the JFK and the RFK assassinations in great depth. There were two others, but sadly they've passed along Bill Turner, who was a former FBI agent, and Professor Phil Melanson, who did great work on both cases. Right, right. So let's talk about so, Sirhan's upcoming parole hearing on the 27th of August. This is right. Did I count that correctly? Is this his 16th hearing? Oh, I don't. I didn't. I lost track. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we all Sirhan, have. Sirhan is personally abused by the parole board. You know, when they, they call him a liar, they say nasty things to him. He wasn't even going to show up for his previous parole hearing because he was so tired of being put down and badgered and, you know, made fun of, ridiculed. And, and, uh, but when Paul Schrader showed up, he did want to talk to trade so he did go to that hearing and paul it's, for those that don't excuse me lisa for those not familiar with the intimate details of the case paul schrade right. was by uh senator kennedy's side he was right. a, a union leader and an advisor i guess to bobby's campaign and a good friend and he was uh wounded um right. in the uh, in, in the shooting and and he to this now believes that sirhan was uh, innocent as well Exactly. All right. So let me back up and give a quick overview for the audience. So Robert Kennedy was killed at a hotel here in Los Angeles, where I live. And it was the night of the California primary, the presidential primary. And Bobby Kennedy, by winning California, was pretty much on the path to win the Democratic presidential nomination. He came down just before midnight from his room in the hotel, gave a speech at the Ambassador Hotel, to a huge crowd, and after the speech, he walked backstage and then through a little pantry area en route to the printed media because the television media had all been filming him already. But at all his campaign stops, he made a point of talking to the print media. As he passed through the pantry, Sirhan, Sirhan, a young Palestinian immigrant, stepped out, pulled a gun, fired at Kennedy, uh, Kennedy fell, uh, didn't die immediately, died within the next, uh, I want to say, 28 hours or so. Five other people were also wounded and taken to the hospital. Bullets were retrieved from all of them. Two bullets were retrieved from Kennedy and one each from each of the victims. And then there were a number of holes in both the ceiling and the door frames and evidently the walls, according to yet another witness. Um, but the police could <laughs> Excuse me. I choked on water earlier, so I may may (laughs) cough unexpectedly. I'm so sorry. Uh, That's okay. The police had to limit the bullet count to eight because the gun Sir Ann was holding could have only fired eight bullets. 
Yeah, it was an Ivory Woods eight-shot, twenty-two caliber pistol. Right, right. And in the course of my research, what I found very interesting is that the the police and the DA knew that none of the bullets from any of the victims matched Sirhan's gun. And I found a great document after, of course, I'd published my book from DA Joe Bush, who was not the DA at the time Sirhan was prosecuted, but he came in later. And he's like, wow, I find it really curious that none of the bullets ever matched Sirhan's gun and none of Sirhan's lawyers ever mentioned that they might be representing a potentially innocent man. Now, he said this before a 1975 panel essentially proved that. Uh, in 1975, CBS and Paul Schrade had filed suit and wanted a retesting of the evidence. But what none of them understood, and it took me years to understand this, so, you know, I don't me offhand, go read the, the paper trail in my book, you understand this. But all the bullets that the panel was testing had been switched, meaning it didn't matter whether they matched, well, you know, they couldn't have matched. <laughs> already been switched. <laughs> and the only reason to switch them was because they didn't match their hands gun and there were more than one gunman. And because the bullets didn't match each other, that was an obvious conspiracy. So they well, there was that obvious, there, not, there was that audio, not obvious, there was that audio recording. Uh, was it Philip von Prague? Uh, who who uh, tape recorded the, the, the in the yeah, in the pantry? Yeah, Prague was a reporter wandering just outside the pantry. You know, the event was over. Kennedy was leaving, but he didn't realize he'd left his tape recorder on. So he actually captured the only audio that we know of that actually has the full shot sequence on it. Now, because people were screaming. There were at least 13 shots identified, but, but it's very likely that there were more that were covered when everybody started screaming at once. So, but at least 13 is way more than eight. And again, one gun, three-hand gun, could only hold eight bullets. Uh, so again, and, and the FBI also photographed what they labeled unequivocally bullet holes in the door frames to an the south door frame and two in the middle divider of the door frame, four bullet holes in addition to the eight the police had already accounted for. So the police just ignored that and decided those couldn't have been bullet holes because it was only Sirhan and there was only one gun. They literally just ignored the evidence. And then they destroyed the door frame so no one could examine them. I found some video, which I put a link to in my book. I posted it online. I literally paid $750 for like six seconds of video because I wanted the world to be able to see this. And you see not just the holes in the wood, but the paneling that had been removed. And when you when you see the paneling, then you know that all the other explanations, old people were poking pencils in the wall. Well, no, because that meant a little pencil had to actually go through three-quarters of an inch pine wood paneling to get to the wall to make the hole, which is ridiculous. A bullet can do that. You know, a little pencil break in half if you tried to do that. So, right, um, right. Anyway. And, and also, so there's, there's um, Sirhan, Sirhan, I mean, Sirhan, Sirhan was firing a pistol. And he was but firing it, a gun. Now, the big question, was he firing bullets or blanks? And by blanks, right. I mean not necessarily blanks in a starter pistol, but, but you can turn any kind of bullet 
shell into a blank shell. Even the kind that were found in Suriname's gun, long rifle, uh, one other researcher had claimed that, oh, that just can't be done. In fact, Phil von Prague said that can't be done. But there's actually a YouTube video of somebody actually doing that and firing it. So it can be done. And, uh, and the reason it would be done, it's funny, I just read last week an article about an assassination plot against Jimmy Carter, and, and you won't believe these names. One of the, you know, the gunman was named Raymond Lee Harvey, and one of the other ones was <laughs> named Osvaldo. It's like they were trying to deliberately link that in the public mind to Lee Harvey Oswald. But interestingly enough, one of the shooters was supposed to fire blanks as a distraction to pull focus so that the other shooters could kill Jimmy Carter. And that is the argument I make in my book, is that that was Sirhan's real role. He was firing blanks so everybody would look at his gun and pull focus. And the reason Sirhan wouldn't have been giving, given real bullets is he would have been directly in line with the actual assassin, and he would have killed the assassin if he had bullets before the assassin could have killed Robert Kennedy. You know, Sirhan was not a trained gunman. He had spent... You know, a few days at a at a range, he was not an expert shooter by any means. No conspiracy in their right mind would leave it in his hands. But having him pull focus makes a lot more sense. And then the question is, how cognizant of the fact was he that he was even participating in the plot? And this is where people go, oh, my God, well, he had to know. Of course he had to know. But he didn't. And I'll give you a contemporary example of a similar plot. All right. In uh, a few years ago, I don't I don't have the date in front of me, but there were these two women in Korea who thought they were performing a TV stunt and ended up murdering the exiled brother of Northern Korean leader Kim Jong Un. Right. They sprayed poison and, on and his face. This, That's right. It was a stunt, and they were told, you know, one of you goes up and sprays water, one of you wipes with a towel. And they didn't know there was a VX nerve agent that was going to kill him when they sprayed the water. Or I think it was in the towel. And when they wiped the towel, that killed him. And it's, it was obvious to me reading this that neither women were in on the plot. So they were literally tricked into killing somebody. <clears throat> and I argue that's what happened to Sirhan. And again, it's, there's no way I'm going to convince anybody in a little hour you know, <laughs> what it took me 25 right. years to discover for myself. Well, the contention was that, that he yeah. was hypnotized. And um, but that now is, is has that been to your satisfaction? Has that been proven that he, that he was hypnotized? Because I, I've read that, you know, the American Psychological or the Psychology Association said, no, he wasn't. And others say, yes, he was. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, the American Psychology Association has a long-standing relationship with the very people who likely killed Robert Kennedy, the CIA. So I take anything they say with a grain of salt. You know, it's their job to, you know, say things like that. There are hypnotists who will tell you, oh, you can't make somebody do something against your will. There are other hypnotists who say that's simply not true, and we have now decades of evidence to show that you can make people harm others or themselves where they would not normally do that. And the proof of that is there are women who've won a lot of lawsuits because they found out they've been hypnotized by their doctor or their therapist, or in one case, their pharmacist, and, and made to have sex with them under hypnosis without being able to give consent. So 
it's something that all hypnotists will take because it protects them. You know, it's like a liability clause for them. They want you to right. think that you can't do anything. I, I witnessed a bunch of hypnosis when I was writing the book. I went to everything I could find, you know, to see if I saw any patterns. And at one show, I was really, really freaked out because this woman, I had talked to her for like 20 minutes before the show. Neither of us knew she was going to be a volunteer in the show. She was just as normal as can be. You know, I sat next to her. It's not like she came up and sat next to me. She wasn't a plant. Very normal person with some friends. And during the show, she was called up on stage and told, oh, you won, you know, here's a $35,000 check. And and uh, she, you know, got all excited and jumped around. And at the end of the show, the hypnotist says, okay, you're all unhypnotized, go home. Well, you know, I, I didn't see her right away, and I wanted to talk to the hypnotist, so that was my focus. But after I talked to the hypnotist about Sirhan, he looked very uncomfortable and, and immediately excused himself and left the area. That woman was still wandering around looking very distressed. And as the crowd parted and everybody left, I saw her. And so I went up to her. I'm like, did you lose your family? You know, what's wrong? And she's like, well, I have to give this back. And it was just like Monopoly play money. It was nothing. And and I'm like, well, I don't think he cares. And she goes, no, it's a $35,000 check. I have to give this back. And I was, I was like, is she real? Is she for real? You know, she's not faking this. And so I said, can I hold it with you? And she said, okay. So I grabbed it. I said, can we look at it closer together? And she's like, yes. I'm like, can you look in the upper right? Do you see where it says 100? And she said, no, it's a $35,000 check. And I was so freaked out because she did not appear hypnotized. She looked as normal as she had before the show. But she was right. clearly still in the hypnotic illusion. And that was the first time I realized that's what they did to Sirhan. And that's why no one, you know, thought he was hypnotized. I mean, you know, he didn't look like he'd been hypnotized. But there were a couple people who said he looked incredibly serene and his eyes, you know, were big. And even the cops who arrested him, they did do a, a flashlight in the eye check, and one of them noted that his pupils stayed dilated. And that is one of the signs of hypnosis. So, There's some suggestion like, too that there was maybe the I don't know Rohypnol in the in the he talked about that giant coffee urn that was presented to him by the the famous the lady in the polka dot dress. Mm-hmm. And there's been a little development on that, by the way. Uh, a man had sent Sirhan a picture of a woman who I had actually identified in that earlier volume, The Assassinations, as a possible candidate for the polka dot dress. He looked at the picture. He goes, "That's the girl I had coffee with." And it may be, it doesn't mean she was the girl in the polka dot dress in the pantry. It's really hard to understand, you know, what happened there. But but at, at some point, Sirhan remembered pouring coffee for a girl, and then his memory went blank. And this is where hypnotist Dan Brown comes in. William Pepper, who's been Sirhan's attorney for many years, um, Asked Dan Brown because he's an expert in hypnosis. He's the author of several of the textbooks used in colleges across the country. And, and Dan Brown spent more than 60 hours with Sirhan. And he did what Sirhan's defense team did not because his defense team hypnotized him. But here's what they asked him Sirhan, reach for your gun. Sirhan, do you see Robert Kennedy coming? Reach for your gun. Why do you want to kill him, sir? I mean, the questions were outrageously leading. It was like they were trying to implant a memory, 
it was it was obscene, and you know his hypnotist should have been you know disqualified from ever participating in something like that ever again. The way he questioned it, but Dan Brown did it differently. He's like, "Okay, Sirhan, what do you see? What do you hear? Who's near you?" Very open ended, no leading questions, and he teased the tale out that Sirhan was attracted to this woman in a polka dot dress. She had unspoken, you know, sexual availability about her. He, you know, he thought he might get lucky that night, so he followed her around kind of like a puppy. She led him into the pantry. They were, she kind of held him on uh, a tray stand, which put them like a couple of feet above the rest of the crowd so they could see when Robert Kennedy walked in. Sirhan doesn't remember seeing Robert Kennedy walk in, but he does remember the girl saying, look, leading him to the center of the room and then pinching his shoulder in a certain way. And then from that moment on, Sirhan thought he was back at the shooting range that he had been at earlier that day. And he pulled out his gun and thought he was firing at targets. And, of course, there's, there's going to be people who say, well, Sirhan's just lying. But believe me, even the police said after Sirhan was arrested, he doesn't lie. If he knows something, he will tell you. And if he doesn't, he will be quiet or he will you know, say he doesn't know. But they hadn't caught him in any lie. He, and he's actually, you know, <laughs> I won't say he's a very honest man because who, who is, but it's very compelling because all the evidence does indicate that he was under a hypnotic state. He had supernatural power. Uh, a football tackle, Rosie Greer, had trouble right. getting the gun from, and Sirhan is tiny. I mean, he's like 5'4". He was a small, thin guy. Um, he was a little wiry because he wanted to be a jockey, you know, so he, you know, had some muscle. But not enough to hold off somebody like Rosie Greer. It took right. four and Rayford Johnson to hold right. their hand down. And this is again right. a common symptom of hypnosis that people have supernatural strength under hypnosis. So was the like they don't Lisa was the they, lady in the polka dot dress? Was she his controller? So I don't. I I, I think that's a how do I want to say it? controller? Not so much. Uh, if I were running the plot. I would have a master hypnotist, and then I would just have a trigger person, like she would be the trigger woman, to send him into the state and give him the final command. It doesn't mean that she herself was the hypnotist, if that makes sense. Okay. All she had yes. to do was lead him to a spot, pinch him a certain way, maybe whisper in his ear. Um, you know, there's often a And say the trigger word, that whatever that trigger, trigger word may have been. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Lisa, we'll take Lisa. We're going to take a quick timeout. We'll come back and, and okay. We'll take a quick timeout. Come back and discuss the assassination of RFK and also the upcoming parole hearing of Sirhan Sirhan, fifty-two years now in prison. Back with more of the conspiracy show right after this. Don't go away. So I thank all of you. Those of you who are here. Mayor, Mayor Yorty has just sent me a message that we've been here too long already. So, uh, my thanks to all of you, and now it's on to Chicago, and let's win there. Thank you. Okay, Jimmy. Hey, 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 wait, wait, wait. Hey, I want to hear him really loud. Who's gonna... 
Senator Kennedy has been shot. Is that possible? Is that possible? It could be. Is it possible, ladies and gentlemen? It is possible. He has. Not only Senator Kennedy. Oh, my God. Senator Kennedy has been shot. And another man, a Kennedy campaign manager, and possibly shot in the head. I am right here. Rayford Johnson has a hold of a man who apparently has fired the shot. That's it, Rayford. Get it. Get the gun, Rayford. Okay, now hold on to the guy. Hold on to him. Hold on to him, ladies and gentlemen. Hold him. Hold him. <coughs> we don't want another Oswald. Hold him, Rayford. We don't want another Oswald. Hold him, Rayford. Keep people away from him. There you go. That was uh, on the scene at the Ambassador Hotel. Of course, we heard uh, our uh, Robert Kennedy's uh, acceptance speech or after winning the uh, the California primary. And now those memorable words, now it's on to Chicago and let's win there before he's uh, ushered into the, uh, the pantry area where he is shot. Uh, Rayford Johnson grabs a hold of him. Rosie Greer pins him to the steam table. And did they not, Lisa, uh, describe them, him as if he was, even when his his hand was pinned to the steam table, he kept just firing the pistol almost in a robotic fashion? Was that Rosie Greer or Rayford Johnson correct. mentioned that? I, I forget which one said that. I'd have to look it up. But yes. And even at one point, the gun was even out of his hand. And this had happened in another assassination. This was not in my book, but it was in my earlier articles on the case, where there had been another assassin who had been truly hypnotized, and it was proven he was hypnotized, and he had continued to fire even after the gun had been removed. The compulsion, people don't understand how... A, a suggestion to the mind really can create a compulsion. And in my book, I, I talk about a psychology student who was doing a simple experiment with a professor. And the professor's like, you know, when I pull this card, you know, when I do this, when I give this signal, you're going to go to that deck of cards by the window and you're going to bring me the ace. And, you know, the guy's like, I'll bet you a dollar I won't. But by the end of the day, he's like, I know it's a hypnotic compulsion, and I just, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Then <laughs> this wasn't obviously something super important, but even being aware that he had been hypnotized to do something, he found it really hard not to carry out the suggestion. And in that case, of course, you know, there wasn't a lot at stake. It's not like he was told to kill somebody, but it's, it's easy to see that you can take that further. And uh, there was a case of a guy in the Philippines who came up during the Jim Garrison investigation of Clay Shaw for the assassination of JFK. During that investigation, a guy named Louis Castillo showed up in the Philippines as a hypnotized assassin in a plot. He claimed he'd been in Dallas to kill uh, JFK, and I think that was the cover story. But what they found is that he was really in the Philippines to kill Marcos, who was challenging the CIA in several ways and, you know, claiming to be leaning towards the communists so that he could get more USAID money. I mean, the standard ploy all third world leaders figured out if they said, oh, I'm thinking of going communist. That was a, you know, a nice way to tap American money. <laughs> So, but Marcos played that too well, and the CIA is like, no, we know you're not a communist. Stop ripping us off. And I would right. sent a guy over to kill him. And so, it's, 
I know it sounds like the stuff of science fiction, but on the other hand, where do you think all these spy movies and all this science fiction comes from? I live and work in Hollywood now, and I, the CIA is all over Hollywood. A lot of the writers come from the CIA. They're writing about real things that they have some personal knowledge of. That's how these stories get written. It's not like they're literally true, but they are true in the sense that they are possible. Things like that right. happen. The whole born so identity... Much of- Thing is about a yeah, born identity. Yes, it's a great example. The born identity, for sure. Uh, the creation of you know super soldiers and so forth. Uh, um, now, much of this case sort of hinges on Sirhan's position uh, in relation to Bobby Kennedy. And there were there were, of course, there was powder burns in the back of Bobby's uh, behind his ear. The, the mm-hmm. shots were fired from the rear at an upper trajectory. Um, some say that, that uh, Sirhan was like a muzzle's length away during that first shot. Others say, no, he was too far away. Well, what do we know for did. sure I about the position of Sirhan? Yeah, I actually made a spreadsheet of every witness statement about Sirhan's position. And it turned out there were people who saw a gun close to Kennedy's head, but not one of those people could ever identify Sirhan as the shooter. But the ones who saw Sirhan and Kennedy at the same time, in the same view, all put him three feet away. And by that, they said the gun muzzle was three feet from Kennedy and in front of him. And I felt, well, those are the best witnesses because they can see both people and they clearly identified them both. And they were all very consistent. Lisa Urso and Vince DiPiero both saw Sirhan cross. You know, the girl was holding him at the... uh, uh, what do they call it, the trade stacker, and then they took him to the main, you know, the center of the floor. The girl left him. Abraham reached out his hand. Lisa Urso thought he was reaching out to shake Bobby Kennedy's hand, and at the last minute she saw he had a gun in it. But all of them put the gun muzzle distance at about three feet. And that's incredible because, again, Kennedy was shot, according to the autopsy, from behind at a distance of about an inch from his right ear. And the coroner said three inches behind the head and an inch from the right ear. And but behind, meaning like front to back. So, sir, sir again, Sirhan would have had to suddenly dart around Kennedy's back because people have tried to say, oh, well, Kennedy turned to his left, therefore exposing his right ear to Sirhan. But that's, again, not true. And we have several witnesses who say he had just been, he had been turned to his left, but he had just turned forward and started to walk forward when Sirhan pulled out the gun and fired. Now, here's the other thing. Kennedy was directly in line. If Sirhan were firing bullets, Kennedy would have been shot in the chest because that's where Sirhan, Sirhan is a short guy. Robert Kennedy wasn't that tall. Sirhan's gun was straight out parallel to the floor. That's what people described and saw. If he were firing real bullets, he could not have missed Kennedy at that close range. But <laughs> he couldn't have hit him behind the ear. He just couldn't have. Even he was shooting with his right hand. If you put somebody in front of you and you had them turn their head to the, you know, their left, and you try and twist your arm and shoot them from behind the ear, it's, it can't be done. <laughs> it's like your arm doesn't right. bend out. Right. And what about the, the I, 
was he the assistant coroner for L.A. County, Thomas Noguchi at the time, or was he the actual no, he was the official coroner? coroner? He was the official coroner. He had ruled on several deaths, including Marilyn Monroe's, which he said correctly, as we know, over the years was not a murder, but accidental suicide. She took the wrong combination of pills, and that's something that numerous authors have dug into, and the records show. Anyway, I don't even want to go into that. I get so upset. There's like two big lies that are always told. One is that Marilyn was killed. Not true. The other is that the Kennedys authorized the Castro plot. Not true. <laughs> and I could disprove both of them, but that's not the subject of tonight's <laughs> conversation. Right, right. But, but did Noguchi ever, yeah. did, did Sirhan's lawyer, Grant Cooper, ever call Noguchi to the stand? Uh, they did, but here's how they fudged it up. Because uh, I, I thought, how could they keep the distance problem from the jury? Because it's so obvious if witnesses are putting them in front and their hands, you know, too far away, how do they get the jury not to see that? And so here's the trick they did. They put a grid up with two-inch squares that represented two feet. And so somebody could be four feet away and look like they were right beside each other. And so that's what they end up doing. They had Kennedy in one square and Sirhan in the other. And again, the witnesses say the gun muzzle, who saw them both, said the gun muzzle was three feet away. Uh, But in the chart, it looks like one's in square one and one's in square two, like they're right up against each other. And it wasn't so clear to the jury, don't forget to add two feet, you know, every time you see one of these squares. Right, right. When we come back, time permitting, we can also talk about uh, how his attorney, Grant Cooper, was perhaps compromised. That's another uh, aspect of this story. Lisa Peace is with us, and uh, the book is A Lie Too Big to Fail, The Real History of the Robert F. Kennedy Assassination. More of our conversation right after these. Stay with us. When did your feelings start to take on this incredibly uh, uh, obsessional quality. Was it the Arab-Israeli war after you came to this country? Well, I suppose that it came to the fore where I began, where I, when I began to focus on it, uh, erupted as soon after the, the, the 1967 war, where the, the Arabs had lost and the Israelis uh, won. And uh, my anger at the American people's reaction to the loss of the Palestinians and, uh, and the Arabs. One speech that sets you off doesn't doesn't deserve a terrible fate like that. No, I, I agree, and I sincerely regret uh, my my actions for that. I was young, I was you know immature, I was wild. I I I really didn't have the the ability to sit back and reflect on it as just one speech, one perhaps one pandering speech to a you know a potential block of voters whom he was appealing to. All right, there you go. That's uh, Sirhan Sirhan in conversation with uh, the late BBC interviewer David Frost back in about 1989, I think. It almost sounds, yes. some would say, as like now, a confession. I got to say something about that because I yeah. talked to Munir about that. Munir Sirhan is the younger brother of Sirhan Sirhan. He said, Lisa, those questions and the answers were all scripted for Sirhan, and he was promised. If he said exactly what they told him to say, that he would get paroled. And he believed his lawyers, and so he said exactly what they told him to say. And the problem is, it wasn't true. Sirhan never remembered even shooting Robert Kennedy. 
and the the whole motive about it was based on the Middle East. This was made up by his legal team as a way to give him a motive because his legal team wasn't about to argue, well, gee, he was hypnotized by people we never found, and you just have to believe us, especially in 1968 when so little was known and the CIA's mind control programs, you know, had not been revealed, and and it, it sounded like science fiction. And so, you know, his lawyers didn't go anywhere near that. And, and in fact, his lawyers argued that Sirhan had managed to hypnotize himself. By, I'm laughing because it's literally ludicrous. And not only is that what his lawyers argued, they then said, and it's the most preposterous, unbelievable explanation. So it, it's clear. I read the trial transcripts, which was like 5,000 pages. I mean, it took me months to read the whole trial transcript. But I got angrier and angrier at Grant Cooper, the lead attorney, because it was clear that he was part of the prosecution and not part of the defense. He was doing everything he could to sink Sirhan's case. And this was so obvious to me, you know, I looked more into Cooper's background and found out that, you know, of course, he had been representing an associate of Johnny Roselli, who was the, one of the mobsters the CIA had hired to kill Castro. In fact, the Castro plots were run by a guy named Robert Mayhew, who was a good friend of Johnny Roselli. And the CIA was actually very involved in Roselli's defense. Bill Harvey had been talking to Richard Helms. It was like, Roselli knows a bunch of things. I think we need to give him more support. And Helms is like, I'm not going to be blackmailed over Roselli. And then they end up giving him support anyway. Cooper is not defending Roselli, but he's defending one of Roselli's associates. In the course of this trial, a grand jury transcript, which is supposed to be top secret, shows up on Cooper's desk in front of the judge. And when Cooper's questioned about it, he's like, well, I got it from no other source but the government, which is probably true. I think the CIA put it on his table right there, uh, you know, in the hopes that he would use it to free Roselli. The problem is, of course, that put Cooper in jeopardy because you can lose your lawyer's license by doing something illegal like that, by using a, a stolen grand jury transcript as part of your defense. That's completely illegal. He could have been fined, he could have gone to jail, and he could have literally been stripped of all his legal credentials. And he was an old man, you know, and, and respected, and, you know, I'm sure he wanted to retire soon. And this could have been a terrible disaster for him. What's interesting is that his penalty that he ultimately got was the lowest possible penalty. It was a $1,000 fine. And the weird thing about it is that they held that penalty over him until Sirhan's trial ended, meaning they held this over his head for, like, more than four months. And if they were going to, like, put him in jail, it would make sense to hold it until Sirhan's trial was over. They're going to find him $1,000. Why didn't they do that right away and just be done with it? And so so he, he was told to throw the case and everything will be forgiven. That. Yeah, exactly. They, were, they wanted Cooper to do what they needed him to do. And by gosh, he did. He did all he could. As I read that, that's why I, I, there's a book out about the trial that excuses Cooper and says, oh, he did the best he could. And I'm like, that is just not honest or accurate. Because that's not what happened. And Munir, you should hear him talk about Cooper. I mean, because he, he's like the guy who was mean, he was rude, he didn't want to hear anything the family had to say. He wasn't the least interested in giving us a defense. I mean, he, he is furious. Because that's the only you know, legal team he had. And 
what's ironic is I was at a I was a juror in a trial in Los Angeles and I was so impressed with the public defender. And the public defenders in LA are just awesome. And if Sirhan had actually gotten a public defender, he might have gotten off because they wouldn't have let the police get away with stuff. But they get these big fancy lawyers and they go to the the team and it's like, you know, hey, this is life and death. You need this big fancy attorney and he's willing to work for you for free. So don't turn it down, which is basically what happened. And then either they set Cooper up or he really did steal it, you know, and or paid to have it stolen or whatever. You know, I I stopped because I, I lost interest in whether he personally ordered it stolen or where, whether somebody set him up because in the end it didn't make any difference. What did matter is that that was held over his head during the whole trial. All right, Lisa, we're going to take one final break. We'll come back and we'll talk about this parole hearing. This one might be a little different from what I understand. Uh, you've got uh, a new district attorney, George Gascon, who's sort of changed the rules. Things are a little different. And also there is a letter writing campaign afoot, perhaps to try and sway the parole board this time. Maybe this time after 52 years, Sirhan Sirhan will finally be set free. Lisa Peace, my guest. And uh, we'll uh, we'll take a quick time out, come back and discuss further. Right here on The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. Back in a moment. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. We are back with Lisa Peace, the author of A Lie Too Big to Fail, The Real History of the Assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. Sirhan Sirhan will be uh, up before a parole board on August the 27th. He uh, remains at uh, in... Um, prison at Robert the Robert J. Donovan uh, Correctional Institution. And um, so this one, we're, we're told, is a little different. The, uh, the L.A. District Attorney, George Gascon, is doing things a little different. How is this going to be different? Well, for one, there was a new law passed in California where if a criminal was 24 years old or younger at the time of their crime, and Sirhan was 24 years old at the time of the crime, that they should be given extra special consideration for release because they were so young that maybe they didn't understand, you know, the severity or the implications of what they were doing. Um, The other thing is uh, his prison record is clean. And they are pushing, and when I say they, I mean state officials from the governor on down. Our prisons are overcrowded. We have more people that they want to jail than they have room to house. And so there are hardened criminals who are not getting into jail because there's no room. And then you have somebody like Sirhan who has not heard a flea since he's been in prison and, you know, arguably before that point and, uh, and, and should be released. He also, he has a brother and a home. He has a place to go. He, you know, there are people who can meet with him and, you know, monitor his mental health. He meets the requirements for the parole board. And here's the one thing I do want to emphasize. If people decide to write, and I hope you do, and like I said, if you have any doubts, please read my book. By the end of it, you won't have any doubts that he should be paroled. I will give you the address in a second. But I also want to say the parole board will not overturn the ruling on the case, meaning don't try and argue that he was innocent. They don't care. 
doesn't matter, has no effect. But you can argue, gee, he was only 24 at the time, and he's had a model record since, you know, completely clean. He has somewhere to go. He has a home and a brother. His brother needs him. I mean, his brother lives alone. Uh, the two could help each other. Um, so, and, and the prisons are overcrowded, so it's kind of win, 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 win. You know, we need to get some of the younger criminals off the street. And the older people just don't tend to commit crimes. It's like, let them go. And is the parole board swayed by, by personal opinion or by, the, by opinion, popular opinion? Uh, how do I want to say? Absolutely not. They, they literally can't. What they, they're, they're limited in what they can do. So, but they, if they get, you know, 200 letters on a prisoner, they have to look a lot harder at releasing them than if they get two letters on a prisoner. You see what I'm saying? So every letter actually will make a difference. And at some point, it's very possible that he will not be paroled that day, but then there's a follow-up contested hearing. And it's very possible he could win in that follow-up hearing. So... <laughs> So please don't just assume it's a lost cause and I'm not going to bother. What's the point? Please try. We all have to do what we can. You know, he was wrongly imprisoned in the first place. He provably didn't kill Robert Kennedy. There's a lot of great evidence that he was firing blanks. Excuse me. In a hypnotically induced state and that he truly did not even understand what he was participating in. Like those women who killed the, the, you know, brother of Kim Jong-un. He really didn't know what was going on because of the way it was set up, highly compartmentalized, didn't have any clue what his role was. So uh, it's always puzzled me. Now. It's always puzzled me, Lisa, why he was allowed to live. If there was a conspiracy, ah, why would that. he be allowed first, to live? First of all, there were people who were trying to strangle him and punch him and kill him in the pantry. There were people trying to do that. Also, um, there's a whole other incident about this preacher named Jerry Owen, who supposedly was selling Surhan a horse that day. And it's, it's an incredible story, but I really believe that they thought if Surhan managed to escape the pantry, and he might have, he was so strong, he almost, he almost did. And had he gotten out and gotten the horse and started running, you know, that would be the perfect excuse for the police to shoot him while he's on the horse and just kill him. And I do think that was like the backup plan. But the other thing was after Oswald had been killed, that's why they said, we don't want another Oswald. When Jack Ruby shot Oswald, almost all of America said the fix is in because clearly the the guy was silent so as not to reveal co-conspirators. That was the feeling at the time. And so I think the plotters were very careful to leave the guy alive. But yeah, and keep him also, behind bars forever. Been, because 52 years, even, <laughs> even, for, even for homicide, uh, I mean, Hinckley, who shot, who attempted to kill Reagan, you know, mm-hmm. was in prison killed. for what, 30 years? But, but 52 years, like, as you say, he has an impeccable record. He's not the man, even if he didn't do it, he's, so, he, he's simply, he's, Still not the man he was at twenty twenty four when you're seventy six, right. right? You're not the same right. person. So right. you know, uh, I guess what is it that everyone that was maybe in on the conspiracy is now long dead, and so there's not there's no reason to keep him around anymore in, in prison. Well, 
believe me, I'm sure there are people from certain agencies who still don't want him paroled and don't want anybody to find out any more about this case. You know, I people say, you know, why why do they care? You know, aren't all the people dead? Well, people are dead, but agencies aren't. If the CIA killed JFK and RFK and the and the people came to believe that, the CIA knows it could no longer exist, that people would insist it be destroyed. Now, the funny thing is it would probably rebuild under a different name and with all the same people, but it's just that threat alone is enough to keep the lid on these cases, even though I don't think anybody in power currently had anything to do with it. You, you understand. Right, right. So it, the system is still in like place. Institutional Very, uh, give, us, yeah. give us the address, Lisa, if people w- wish to write to the yeah. parole board. Right, and they can call, too, so I'll give you a phone, too. But it's just Board of Parole Hearings, P.O. Box 4036, Sacramento, California, 95812-4036. And the phone number is 916-445. Four zero seven two. I'd say write rather than call because there's a written record than a phone call. You know, I don't know if the messages ever make it into the formal record. But like I said, a, a, a volume of letters will really make a difference in this case. So Board of Parole Hearing, Post Office Hearing. Box, mm-hmm. 4036, Sorry. Sacramento, California. Zip code is 95... 95- 812-406. Sorry, 4036. Let me give that again. The zip code is 95812-4036. Yes. That's it. So where it. if he were released, would he go I've heard some reports say he might go to Jordan. Yeah, I I don't know where that comes from because his brother lives in Pasadena, California. I'm pretty sure he would go to the family home here in Pasadena. They own the home. So, you know, there are lemon trees on the property. It's a nice little house. His old bedroom is unchanged, you know. It's a... It it would be appropriate. I I have not heard that they would leave the country. (laughs) Uh, We just have a couple minutes here, but when... Bobby Kennedy Jr. went to the uh, Robert J. Donovan Correctional Institution to meet with Sirhan Sirhan. Were you instrumental in making that meeting happen? Yes, yes. I I was over at Bobby's house helping him. He was originally he wrote a book called American Values, which, by the way, is incredible. I really encourage people to read it. It's kind of the book about the Kennedys I've always wanted to read with all the gossip and the episodes, but it's actually true. It's not made up. It's from a family member. And uh, a lot of myths are dispelled in that book as well. But originally that book was going to have a chapter on the JFK case and the RFK case. And um, so he asked me to, you know, come and consult with him. And while we're talking, I'm like, you know, would you like to meet Sirhan? I'm like, because I can put you in touch with his lawyers. And He's like, yes, I would. And and when I contacted the lawyer, she's like, are you kidding me? We get Bobby Kennedy. <laughs> she was very impressed. So that was Laurie Dusick. Yeah, I put the two in touch. She, she flew out because she's in New York and drove him down, you know, down the coast and went to see Sirhan. And, and when Robert Kennedy met him, he's like, Lisa, he didn't do it. He said he's a sweet man. He, he 
he's a very good judge of character because he's seen so many phonies in his life. You know, when you're rich and famous, you are just besieged by phony people, you know, obsequious people seeking, you know, favor and celebrity right. from you. And, and so it's like he has good people judgment. That's why when he met me, he's like, you, I want to work with because I trust you. And and with Sirhan, he's like, he doesn't deserve to be in jail. So, All right. Well, yeah. we'll um, we'll we'll uh, be paying very close attention on August the twenty seventh when Sirhan Saran is up for a parole hearing, and we shall see what happens. Lisa, and, thank and you so much for this. It may not end then. There there is a chance for an appeal, and if if right. he's released, it will probably be on the appeal and not on that day. But watch anyway. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you, Lisa. Terrific as always. Appreciate it. All right, when we come back, an update on the miracle molecule, carbon-60, or at that is the consumable form of carbon-60, ESS-60, with research scientist, engineer Chris Burris. That's up and coming on the Richard Serrett, or the uh, Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. That would be me, back with more in a moment. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to everyone listening in on our flagship station, AM 740 and 96.7 FM, Zuma Radio here in Toronto. Hi, Ed, to those of you tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hey there to those of you streaming us live at zoomerradio.ca. Now, we are recording the, um, on the, for the YouTube channel tonight, but we're not able to live stream it tonight. Of course, we're live on the radio, and uh, we will be posting the YouTube or the, uh, the program to our YouTube channel, Strange Planet. Uh, that'll be probably tomorrow or Tuesday at the latest. And again, also look for it at rumble.com. Just search for the uh, Richard Serrett Strange Planet or just Richard Serrett under channels. Again, rumble.com and under channels, search for Richard Serrett, S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T, or Richard Serrett Strange Planet. And of course, on YouTube as well, the YouTube channel is simply Strange Planet. This hour, a research engineer and scientist whose primary mission in life is to help people live longer and healthier and pain-free. He'll discuss the benefits of the consumable form of carbon-60, a microscopic molecule with 60 carbon atoms, uh, which looks similar to a buckyball, C60. Works as an antioxidant in the body, removing harmful antioxidants. And because they're so small, C60 molecules can reach individual components of your body's cells. That's one reason why this compound is being researched for the fields of nanotechnology and nanomedicine. Chris Burris has a diverse background in the field of inventions and manufacturing with a uh, Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering from the University of Houston. Chris is a co-inventor of the most efficient fullerene manufacturing equipment in use since 1991 and co-owner of a company that manufactures a unique product containing a Nobel Prize winning molecule that has been shown to extend the lifespan of test subjects by 
90%. Those test subjects were rats, by the way. Chris Burroughs, welcome back to the program. How are you? Wonderful, Richard. How are you doing today? It's so, I mean, it's so great to connect with you every time I'm on the show. You, you allow me on your show. I'm excited. And we're delighted to have you with us. So what's the latest? Uh, well, before we get into what's the latest, let's just back up a little bit because, uh, you know, there's always new people joining the program, listening in for the first time. They're not familiar with sort of the backstory of this, what we call the miracle molecule, carbon-60. Tell us a little bit about it. Absolutely. It's it's also been called the perfect molecule, which I, I think the perfect carbon, which I think is also a very apropos name. Um, we'll kind of give it real briefly. Uh, in, in 1985, three scientists at Rice University, that is here in Houston, Texas, where I'm based, uh, discovered the third form of carbon. We're familiar with diamonds. We're familiar with graphite. And now there's a whole gamut of molecules called fullerenes. The most abundant fullerene is really carbon-60, affectionately called a buckyball. And if you were to imagine a soccer ball, the lines on the soccer ball represent the bonds between the carbon atoms. So you have a spherical molecule of 60 carbon atoms. Uh, That is a very unique shape. It's so unique that upon their discovery, a new symbol was added to the language of chemistry, right? That symbol is actually the at symbol. We're familiar with that in our email addresses. Uh, and, and so you could take something like lanthanum, uh, lanthanum at C60 means lanthanum physically tracked inside of that soccer ball cage. It's not bonded to the exterior uh, covalently or ionically. It's physically trapped inside. Um, I think any time that you're going to win, uh, any time that you add a symbol to chemistry, you're probably en route to winning a Nobel Prize, and that's exactly what happened in this case. Again, they discovered it in 1985. By 1996, they won the Nobel Prize for discovering the, these, this gamut of molecules called fullerenes. Um, and it was really primarily like, for industrial yeah. purposes, right? Yeah, its focus was industrial applications. In fact, in the early days, I would share with my friends, you know, I'm a young kid, still in college, started this company manufacturing carbon nanomaterials. And people, of course, you go out and they ask you what you're doing. Uh, and I kind of go through what I just ran through. And then they're like, well, what's that good for? And, and in those days, in the very early days, we kind of had an internal running joke that it was very good for funding. Because if you wrote a proposal based on fullerenes, uh, you actually were very likely to get funded. It, it was such a a, um, a a viral scientific discovery that in 1991, all ten of the ten most referenced scientific papers were were regarding fullerenes. So it was you know we think of you know viral in terms of like a YouTube video or some Instagram post now nowadays. But this was a viral event uh, that ultimately led to the Nobel Prize. Right. So back in the 60s, it was all about plastic. We remember that uh, that scene in the movie The Graduate when uh, Dustin Hoffman's character, I guess his uncle or, or his dad's business partner, tells him, you know, what are you going to do with your life? And he says, I don't know, sir. And he says, one word, plastics. So now it's <laughs> fullerenes, right? 
Exactly, and, and and that may have been in a more um, niched kind of audience, so it might have been just scientists and scientific researchers, uh, and the reason you would go into Fullerene's is because like, you were virtually guaranteed funding for whatever research you were going to do. In fact, I, I actually had recently our, our parent company sponsors research uh, and development. We actually have a Young Researchers Award, and I recently interviewed uh, one of our recipients of our awards, and it was a, you know, a fascinating interview about carbon nanomaterial carbon nanotubes and how it can be used uh, in, in the work of, of doing some uh, some modifications of plants that they're they're trying to accomplish so just tell us briefly about some of the amazing properties uh, of the c60 molecule absolutely so uh, I, it kind of the long and short is it performs as well or better than the current best material in almost every application so better ink better tires better batteries, better photo cells. Um, so, so that's one of those reasons that they thought it would be ultimately be used on a regular basis. Um, it's, it's got six-fold symmetry. It can actually hold six electrons, and it has six-fold symmetry. So there's six planes through that soccer ball shape uh, where it's symmetrical. And what that means is it's incredibly resilient. So you can actually fire the, the buckyball at 15,000 miles an hour at a plate of steel, and where other molecules will just shred apart, the buckyball will compress. You can imagine that soccer ball compressing and then bounce right back. Uh, so, yeah, a, an absolutely amazing molecule in so many ways, which is why they thought that it would be used ubiquitously in, in our society and why they ultimately did a toxicity st- test to kind of understand what would it be like for, for lots of humans to be working with this molecule on a regular basis. And that leads us to the Paris uh, toxicity study that was performed on rats. And, of course, they couldn't feed the rats you know, carbon-60, they had to make it consumable, so they used something called ESS-60, the consumable form of carbon-60, suspended it, not suspended it, um, dissolved. how do we say, dissolved it in olive oil and fed it to the these Wister rats to see if it would be toxic, right? Yeah, yeah. It's um. It, it, there's a whole. There's all. When my director of research first read that paper, he was like, "Wow, this is an, an impressive paper. You could actually have written five separate papers ba- out of that one paper." Um, in that study, again, it was. You're right. It was a toxicity study. And something to note about toxicity studies, uh, there's really kind of two things to note. One, when you're doing the initial toxicity study, you're just trying to find some sort of uh, playing field, like is it toxic? So you're not just giving a little bit to the rats. You're really overloading their, uh, their kind of rat bodies uh, so that you can see if it's actually going to have a negative impact on them. Uh, in that study, they gave rats water. Again, you're right, Wistar rats. They gave them water. Uh, they gave them olive oil. And then they gave them olive oil with the ESS-60 molecule. And instead of being toxic, this is the next thing that I want to say that's like very important about a toxicity study. When all of the control group, again, that's the group that was given water, and of course they were fed regular meals, and then in addition to that given water, the other rats olive, and then the last set of rats are olive oil with ESS-60. When all of the water rats are dead, and all of your test rats that are given, really it's the C60 EVO formula, are still alive, you can actually, you, they could have stopped their toxicity study because that's when you know it's absolutely not toxic. <laughs> right, but then it didn't, it, it turned from a, it, it sort of transformed from a toxicity study to a longevity study. 
absolutely. So a typical Wistar rat will live about 32 months, uh, and it'll die with a known amount of tumors. The rats that were given the C60 Evo formula, again, that's olive oil with that ESS60 molecule, lived out to 62 months, so 90% longer. Uh, and it is another interesting piece of that study that none of the rats, even though they live twice as long, uh, none of the rats given the C60 Evo formula died with any tumors. And that, those are both pretty phenomenal. In fact, the fact that they live 90% longer represents the single longest longevity experimental result in mammals in human history. Uh, so it's a phenomenal result in terms of longevity. So suddenly you go from producing uh, C60 for research and for industrial purposes, and uh, somewhat unwittingly you find yourself in the supplement business. This is not what you had intended. <laughs> No, no, it's not. In fact, your your description right there is very accurate and much briefer than what really ultimately happened. So, so that initial study out of Paris was published uh, in 2012. About mid 2013, we started getting phone calls of people saying, "Hey, how much in a dose?" And you've really got to you know, pull back and think about our positions. We're carbon nanomaterial scientists. We're selling it to research institutions around the world. You put it in ink and batteries and tires and photocells. Even though the literature was clear that it was safe, our mentality was like, no, like we're not selling this to put in the human body. And for the first time in company hist history, so we started in 91 all the way until mid-2013, we didn't need to have not for human consumption on our labeling. Uh, we added that in mid 2013. And then, and then as, as people were continuing to take it, as people were continuing to do self experimentation, and this is a kind of a group called biohackers, uh, as they were doing that and giving us more and more reports, I started going, okay, is this a, is as an entrepreneur, yes, carbon nanomaterial scientist, also an entrepreneur, is this something that we even really want to get in business doing? And I was able to get a hold of a, uh, of a peer-reviewed published paper that said that in the supplement market, 50% of the products that are on the market do not have them in it do not have in them what they say they have in them. And so uh, we were very skeptical. We tried very hard not to get into the supplement industry. Hmm. And um, so let's talk about the, the benefits of ESS-60. Again, this is the, the consumable form of the perfect molecule, the miracle molecule, carbon-60, ESS-60. Uh, I mentioned it's an antioxidant. It's 72 times more powerful than vitamin C. What else does it do? Yeah, so um, there's a couple of things, and, and, and when you start breaking down that initial research, right, those rats live 90% longer. The first thought is like, hey, well, how did these rats live longer? And current medical thought processes uh, are that aging is an issue related to inflammation and, uh, and, and, and actually oxidation, right? You just mentioned it's actually 172 times more powerful than vitamin D, according to one Thank study. Thank you, yeah. 172. Uh, which, which is amazing, like just absolutely amazing. So, yes, it's a, an antioxidant. And then when it comes to anti-inflammatory, uh, I know you're in Canada. We're here, here in the States. We've got, you know, similar parallel governing bodies. We're actually not able to talk about inflammation. Well, we're only able to talk about the benefits we have regarding inflammation in one way, and that is 
It is absolutely known to be uh, an anti-inflammatory as it relates to exercise-induced inflammation. We are unable, the FDA does not allow us to talk about its anti-inflammatory capabilities, whether they do or don't exist, as it relates to any other type uh, of inflammation. Like, you know, those diseases would be like arthritis, a lot of diseases that are kind of founded in inflammation. Uh, what we can say is that it fits perfectly in with an anti-inflammatory diet. That, the, that diet is known uh, throughout kind of the blue zones, what are known as the blue zones, a group of people who tend to live longer, who have less incidences of stroke, uh, who have less incidences of heart attack, and like I said, who actually live longer. So it's, it's, it makes sense that current medical thought process is in- inflammation oxidation and this, bu- and, and this particular mixture uh, uh, does tick those two boxes in at least, you know, the ways that I'm able to talk about here. And, I mean, uh, does research show that we have, like, why does it, why is it so effective? Do, do we have receptors in our cells for this molecule? Well, so that is, that's certainly one theory. Um, and I'm not, uh, I'm not a particular, I don't particularly subscribe to that theory. I think that there's uh, some fundamental research that's going to happen. I always kind of, you know, honestly state it's going to be done by people much smarter than me who are really going to start to understand how this is impacting us. Now, I can talk about a couple of things, right? So one of them is, uh, you know, the molecule really discovered in 85. Uh, I started the first company in 95 with my business partner, Robert, in 91, sorry, 1991. Um, and, and right around that time was when AIDS was first coming onto the forefront. And it was well, it was understood, at least in a Petri dish, that the shape, that soccer ball shape of the, of the carbon-60 a- uh, atom could fit inside one of the receptors for the AIDS virus and prevent the replication of the AIDS virus. In fact, there's patents here in the U.S. related to, uh, you know, the buckyball uh, and its utilization in fighting uh, and combating the AIDS virus. So when you're talking about receptors, there's at least one case where the, the shape of the molecule uh, impacted that, that particular situation. Um, so in other words, you know, it's a, it's a delivery molecule, system. You put, you, you put the – in other words, the buckyball, let's call it, or the fullerene, yeah. it's a delivery system. Well, in this case, no. And, and that's one ah. of the theories. I want to talk about that because that's like really exciting and, and ultra cutting edge. Really, this was just the fact that the molecule, when it was in a Petri dish with the AIDS virus, that molecule would sit inside one of the AIDS uh, virus receptors and block the replication ah. of the AIDS virus. Right. So, so yeah. Now, when you start taking it, is it talking about it as a delivery, like that's really exciting no, and I'm going to, uh, before I even get into the story, like nothing has come of it. It's really complex to do, but here's how exciting it is. So early on, like early, like kind of late nineties, they were saying, well, any atom can fit on the inside of this soccer ball shaped molecule, any atom on the periodic chart. So what if we put two or as many uh, radioactive molecules as we could inside of them a lot of the chemistry that, that we know, the organic chemistry that applies to the human body, does work on the exterior of the soccer ball-shaped molecule. So what if we attach something to the exterior of this buckyball and had it attached to a cancer cell? 
So now you've got radioactive atoms as a payload inside the soccer ball, and then you've got, you know, something that attaches to a cancer cell. Now you could deliver radioactive treatments directly to cancer cells. And yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. It's incredibly complex science. Um, and manufacturing processes, we have actually made uh, what are called endohedral fullerenes, where you, you, where you trap uh, atoms inside of that buckyball. Um, wow. But that's, but that's on the horizon, right? process, That's on the horizon. And, and so far, that hasn't gone anywhere. Right. But that's okay. So that's on the horizon. So uh, let me just remind folks, Chris Burroughs is here. We're talking about the consumable form of carbon-60, ESS-60. And uh, if you go to the website, strangeplanet.ca, that's my my website, strangeplanet.ca, and under tonight's show information, uh, just click on Chris Burroughs' name, and that'll take you right to the website, uh, which is uh, c60evo.com, c60evo.com. Dot com. We just have uh, about two minutes here before we head into a break. So what are you hearing anecdotally from people that are that are taking the um, the ESS-60 um, in, in olive oil or – well, let's talk about the olive oil. Yeah. So, well, and, and, and we do sell it in olive oil, in avocado oil, and in MCT oil. And we highly recommend the olive oil to the point that if you can make a big order in the MCT oil, we'll call you and just confirm it because there's a difference in concentrations. So in olive oil, it's actually, there's two reasons we recommend the olive oil product. One, the highest concentration of the ESS-60 molecule exists in the olive oil. So you get about 0.8 milligrams per milliliter in the olive oil, about 0.6 in the avocado oil, and then about 0.3, less than half, in the MCT oil. Uh, I am aware of one individual who is actually allergic to the olive oil and also allergic to the MCT oil, so he's taking the avocado uh, oil product. But one, that's why we recommend the olive oil, because it has the highest concentration. And two, we're a research-based organization. Uh, that is our pedigree. The original research was done with this ESS-60 molecule dissolved in olive oil. So if the research is in olive oil, then we want to stay focused on olive oil. All right. We'll uh, head on into a break. When we come back, more of my conversation with Chris Burris as we talk about ESS-60, c60evo.com, or go to strangeplanet.ca. Click on Chris's uh, name, Chris Burris, and that'll take you right there as well. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. C60, the perfect molecule, the miracle molecule, and the consumable form of ESS-60. Chris Burroughs, research scientist, entrepreneur, engineer, is with us, and we're talking about the uh, the benefits. So anecdotally, what are you hearing from people who, who consume uh, ESS-60? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I love sharing anecdotes. A lot of people are like, oh, there's a supplement out there and there's anecdotes. You shouldn't listen to anecdotes at all. And I think that you need to be careful with anecdotes. And you also need to understand that it is the beginning of the scientific process, right? So just to share with you, we are in the middle of a sleep study. The reason we're funding a sleep study, which I believe is actually very different than 
and how other uh, supplement companies approach their products. They tend not to do research to kind of prove what they're saying about their products. We're not even saying this, but our most consistent testimonial is our customers take the product in the morning, they report mental focus and energy during the day, and then better sleep that night. And that's the anecdote that keeps coming over and over again. Because we got that anecdote so consistently, we're investing in a sleep study so that we can support it with scientific evidence. So, so I do believe that anecdotes are important and that you do need to take them with a grain of salt. Before I kind of jump into any anecdotes, and I'll talk about mine first, I do want to share that the FDA has not evaluated our product. It is not intended to treat, diagnose, cure, or prevent any disease. Any anecdote I ever share is going to be my own anecdote, or it's going to be the anecdote of somebody that we have documentation on. We could get back to that person and have it verified. We think that's very important, and and I think you understand that from kind of being on air and the, and the integrity associated with journalism yes. that you want to be able to trace that back. In, in my case, uh, I actually played soccer for 25 years. I had a knee pain it was t- on the top of my left patella, and I had that from really from the time even before I quit soccer, but for about five years until I started taking uh, the C60 Evo formula on a regular basis. Uh, from that point forward, that knee pain on my patella has been gone. Uh, I am also, I am uh, very much a geeky scientist, and I do have a spreadsheet that, t- that goes back to 2014, and I was tracking and trying to identify what was causing my own migraines. So back to 2014, I was getting about four or five migraines per year. Uh, I never did figure out what was causing them, but what happened in 2018 when I started taking the C60 Evo formula on a regular basis, uh, I didn't get a single migraine. When you couple that with my wife, my wife used to get nine plus migraines per month. I remember the number nine uh, because she had a medication that was prescribed to her and they would only give her nine of those. So she had to suffer through anything over the ninth. Uh, she used to get nine per month, nine plus per month. It took me a while to get her to try the formula. Uh, and when she started taking the formula, uh, she reduced her migraines from uh, one a month to one every other, either one a month or one every other month, um, which is a pretty phenomenal, phenomenal result. And so that's, that's some of And then you couple again, the, the most consistent is people take the product in the morning. They report mental focus and energy during the day and then better sleep that night. And, and a lot of people, I think as a society, we do a lot of hand-waving about how important sleep is. Uh, and then we go, yeah, unless you have something else to do. And, and sleep really is important. I think we do understand that when you get the right sleep, the right de- you know, deepness of sleep, um, the right amount of sleep, that it improves your mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Uh, and that could actually explain a, a lot of other testimonials that we can jump into uh, if they're just getting better sleep. So that's that's the most consistent one. Right. Um, to those, I'll add a couple of my own. And when people see this on the, uh, on the uh, Rumble.com channel, Richard Serrett, Strange Planet, or they see it on uh, YouTube, Strange Planet, um, if you look at my hair, and I don't know that this is related to uh, ESS60, but I take a tablespoon every day and a half for about two years. I don't have a gray hair on my head. I'm 57 years old. Not a gray hair on my head. I don't have an ache or a pain. I bend over to tie my shoes. I don't grab my back. I don't get a stitch in my back. I don't have joint pain. Uh, so there's for what that's worth. 
Now, the mighty Aphrodite, my uh, lovely bride, uh, she takes uh, the um, the uh, the skin. Um, she puts it on her skin, and the there's a uh, yeah, yeah the, the facial serum. But also, she's got the lip balm, and um, she wanted me to relate this because she gets really bad in the spring and the summer. She gets really bad seasonal allergies. She gets um, like uh, rashes on her hands. And um, a couple of days ago, they were really inflamed, really bothering her. And she didn't have anything with her, but she had the lip balm. And she and she just thought she'd try that. And within five minutes, everything quieted down. So there you go. Yeah. Well, that is one of the testimonies. Actually, uh, um, Cassandra, who works here at our office and is in charge of our, well, really everything. Like if she tells me to do something, I may be the owner, but I'm a, a smart owner, so I do whatever she tells me to do. <laughs> I'm, one, I'm one of the owners. Um, that is one of her testimonials is that uh, she used to, and we live in Houston. Houston is a, like, I think I've heard it said that if you have never experienced allergies, just move to Houston and, and it'll start happening. Um, so she had <laughs> like kind of severe allergies, was getting allergy shots uh, and she's not getting allergy shots anymore. And she attributes it, uh, to, uh, to the, to the C60 Evo formula. So, um, yeah, that is, is when, and, and it'll be interesting because, you know, we're, that's usually associated with antihistamines and you're, you know, helping your body's, uh, reactions. And I think that's an important part, right? Like we're in the middle of a, a challenging time as it comes to, um, viruses. We'll just leave it as generic as that. And one of the right. things that we're coming to understand is, the challenge we have as humans with the virus that's around right now is that our, our bodies tend to overreact. It's actually our body's reaction to the virus that's the problem. It's not the virus doing its own thing and that's causing the problem. And so this balancing of the immune system is something we're, we're really recognizing that you, you obviously don't want an underactive immune system. You also don't want an overactive immune system. You really want that balanced immune system and kind of that that testimonial as it relates to um, allergies is kind of supports the fact that it does a good job of balancing your immune system. Now, if, if people go, uh, again, if they go to strangeplanet.ca and click on your name, and that'll, that'll take you to the, uh, the website for the uh, uh, C60 Evo, uh, it's expensive. But if they understand the process, I mean, you, you actually, in, you and your partner, I guess, in, invented and created what amounts to being like a small reactor in order to produce it. And then there are like, I think there are what, three different ways of, of making C60. Can you kind of walk us through the process? Yeah. Um, it, first, before we do that, let's talk about, okay, the original discovery. Yes, it was done in a reactor that had similar processes to what we use for manufacturing. Uh, it turns out that the molecule is in fact a naturally occurring molecule. So if you collect the soot from a candle flame, and they usually do that by holding a cold plate of steel over the candle flame, and that black soot will collect on that cold plate of steel. Uh, when you do that, you'll find in it parts per million, parts per billion of this uh, ESS-60 molecule. Really, at that point, it's C60 because it needs to be further refined. 
Uh, so naturally occurring. It's also sometimes, you know, you, you hear about synthetic hormones versus natural hormones. And because organic chemistry is so complex, they're like, yeah, it has the same chemical equation as the natural hormone and it does act different. So there's different chiralities associated with that molecule. So there can be differences between, um, man-made molecules and molecules that we find in our body. That is not true for the ESS-60 molecule or carbon-60 as it's in its raw form because it really is simply only 60 carbon atoms, and there's really only one way to put 60 carbon atoms together in a sphere. And so whether you collect it from soot, whether you go out into space and collect it because there's a lot has been found out there, or whether you uh, 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 manufacture it, it is the same naturally occurring molecule. Now, the process we use, there's really kind of three main processes for the manufacturing. There's flame synthesis, there's um, an arc process, and then there's a plasma process. The plasma process is probably the most promising in terms of creating mass quantities of this. We actually use the arc process. It's kind of the best-known process, and we invented and still use the piece of equipment or the same design in the piece of equipment that we came up with back in 1991. Uh, as we've toured facilities around the world that manufacture carbon-60, we've come to understand that our equipment is significantly more efficient, efficient uh, than, than those other pieces of equipment. To talk about this, like, so why is this molecule not used ubiquitously if it's, you know, has all these amazing properties? It's just expensive, like you mentioned, and the reason is the way you manufacture it in, in using the arc method is you actually take two graphite rods and you vaporize them in an inert environment. So if you vaporize them just in, in regular air, uh, ambient air, you're not going to produce, you're going to produce very minimal fullerenes, if any, in that process. So you actually have to have a chamber. Uh, it turns out that graphite is one of the hardest materials on the planet to vaporize. So you're actually using incredibly high amounts of energy, and you're using local temperatures of the sun. We actually have a sight glass to look through at the reaction. You have to wear goggles, uh, welder's goggles, to look at the reaction. And if you actually lift those welder's goggles and let it shine on your skin, you will get a sunburn. Uh, so it's wow. local temperatures of the sun. So now you're taking that soot, uh, the, the vaporized graphite, we call that soot. That soot has about, on a, on a great day, it has about 10% fullerenes, and the rest of it's just carbon junk that we have to separate out. So we use a filtration process similar to the way that you would filter out sand from sugar. Like sand from sugar, you would dissolve in water. You would run it through a filter. The sand would stay on top of the filter, and then the sugar would come through in solution, and then you would boil off that water, and you would have your sugar crystals after that's done. In our case, same thing, except we have to use a solvent uh, uh, that's not water. It's a polar solvent. There are solvents that uh, really, in general, you like not to work with them, and we need to work with them to make this refined product. Uh, so basically, we take that soot that has 10% fullerenes, we dissolve it in the sol solvents, uh, we filter it, the carbon junk stays on top of the filter, and what comes through in solution is the fullerenes, boil off the solvent, and you're left with 
black crystals that are carbon 60 and carbon 70. And then we've got, you know, more processes. <laughs> All right. We're going to uh, take another quick time out. Uh, Chris will come back and uh, discuss further. You mentioned uh, graphite, graphite rods. We're hearing a lot about graphite these days, graphite oxide when it comes to the uh, the COVID vaccine. So we'll, uh, we'll touch on that in a moment. Chris Burroughs and it's uh, c60evo.com. Go to c60evo.com slash richard hyphen Serrett, c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. And uh, we've set up a special deal for you there. Back with more in a moment. Chris Burroughs is with us, research scientist, entrepreneur, engineer, and we're talking about the consumable form of the miracle molecule, carbon 60, ESS 60. And again, go to um, c60evo.com forward slash Richard hyphen Serrett. Or just go to strangeplanet.ca and click on Chris Burroughs' name under tonight's show notes, and that'll take you right there. C60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. So we were talking about you or you were mentioning the graphite rods that are used in the production of, of uh, ESS60. And that sort of reminded me of the uh, the graphite oxide that people seem to be concerned about with uh, with the vaccines. What's the difference? Well, so, um, and what I've heard is really graphene oxide, um, and graphene is just one layer of graphite. So graphite is, if you imagine, uh, just like sheets of paper, it's a, it's a lattice of carbon, uh, and it's got multiple layers in it. And that's why we use it in our pencils, right? So we call them lead pencils. I'm sure at some point they were lead, and then, you know, they stopped being lead a very long time ago and became graphite. And so, the reason that the pencil works so good is as you're dragging it across the paper, the graphite layers are falling off onto the paper, right? So that's why we use graphite in, in pencils. Graphene is actually just one layer of graphite. So you're, you're like graphite oxide versus graphene oxide, they're really like in the same ballpark. Um, and they're very different than than the 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 you know the perfect carbon. One, they're not the perfect carbon. <laughs> uh, they're actually the perfect carbon is a closed cage molecule. So there's no dangling edges. You can imagine if a piece of paper was this one graphite uh, layer called graphene. At the ends of that layer are these open carbon uh, uh, areas, open for bonding. And that is actually not the case in in the perfect carbon in this ESS 60 molecule. Uh, so they're they're kind of vastly different. It would be very concerning to have graphene, you know, in something that is supposed to be so highly regulated. It would make me very concerned. I've been trying to keep an eye on it. I haven't been able to find the research organization that uh, that originally researched this. This is what you know people are struggling with is trying to find that. Um, but in general, I, I think there's some co- company uh, on the market that the best I can figure is they're passing graphene and what are called nano onions off as as super carbons uh, or super C60. Uh, and that stuff, I would not put in my body. I, I'm not aware of any research that says it's not good. I'm also not aware of any research that says it's okay to, to do anything, you know, inside of any living animal. Uh, so there's a lot of research that would need to be done uh, before I'm consuming graphene, before I really want it around, you know, any, any part of my body. And certainly that's also true for 
I think they called it like supercharged C60, but it's not C60. Like it literally is not 60 carbon atoms. Uh, it's a little, it's, it's a little frustrating to see how quickly, uh, the C60 and the fullerene industry has drawn a parallel to the, that research paper that I mentioned earlier where 50% of the supplements on the market do not have in them what they say they have in them. Right. And you, uh, your company, I mean, you, you were industry leaders in C60, right? You were, you were the number one producer of C60 for, for research and industrial purposes, correct? Absolutely. We've been, we're the first company that still exists. I'm, you know, a little irritated that one company beat us, but they only made it six months. We're the first company that still exists to deliver commercial quantities of carbon nanomaterials. That's whether it's nanotubes, whether it's carbon-60, whether it's uh, what we would call an extract that actually has multiple multiple instances of the different molecules, so carbon-60, carbon-70, carbon-76. We've delivered higher fullerenes since 1991 to research institutions around the world. Our company is actually mentioned in the original that that paper, uh, that Wistar Rat paper out of Paris that was published in 2012, we provided the material in that study. So it really, I mean, it is fair to say that our product is the product that has been proven uh, to extend the life of Wistar rats by 90% in that peer-reviewed published research. Uh, we've just got about a minute here before we break again, but is there another mammal study coming, another longevity study? We're, we're working on it. So, like, we're having to jump through hoops that we weren't aware of. Remember, I was never supposed to be in the supplement industry, uh, but we are having to jump, jump through specific hoops, uh, and we've already passed through the first one. Uh, we're getting the second one started. We've got two more after that, and then we will be launching uh, our own toxicity study, and, and, and we expect it to turn into the same kind of equivalent longevity study, uh, similar to the Paris paper uh, that was published in 2012. So the, the, the 90% increase in the lifespan of these Wistar rats, are, are you going to see if you can push that out further? I mean, what, yes. what, what might we be looking at here in terms of longevity? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, we just know, and I know we're, our, our, we're about to hit a break here, uh, and actually might be a good time we can talk about the differences that we're going to implement in our study versus that, that 2012 study. All right, we'll do that. Chris Burrow stays with us. ESS-60 is uh, the consumable form of the miracle molecule carbon-60. You can go to c60evo.com slash richard hyphen or just go to strangeplanet.ca and click on Chris's name. It'll take you right there to the landing page. And uh, they've set up some special deals just for listening. All right, back with more of our conversation right after this. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Chris Burroughs stays with us for a few moments yet. And uh, we're talking about ESS-60. This is the consumable form of the miracle molecule, carbon-60, antiviral, antibacterial, antioxidant, master antioxidant, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. And, of course, was used in this landmark um, mammal will turn into a longevity study with uh, Wistar rats that live 90% longer. 
they were fed a, a diet of ESS-60 dissolved in olive oil. And again, the website is c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. And uh, if you use this code, you can get an extra, uh, let's see, it's an extra 10% off. EVRS at checkout. EVRS at checkout. You save an extra 10%. And it, as we've discussed, Chris, it's expensive. The the uh, the method of producing it is expensive. Uh, but if uh, people uh, buy it on uh, subscription, there are some savings. I think you can save twenty percent off if you do it uh, on the monthly subscription. All right, Absolutely. you could buy yeah. it. In- yeah, it's important, and 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 really, um, if you're thinking anybody's thinking about just trying one bottle, please go on subscription. Take advantage of that twenty percent discount. Uh, take advantage of the ten percent discount with the EVRS code, uh, and and then you can call or email to cancel. You know, our staff is not trained to talk you out of it. I just want you to take advantage of this. And and we actually, in the early days, didn't have a subscription process. And our customers kept calling us and saying, hey, I keep forgetting to order the product. Could you please put together a subscription process so that I just that you just deliver it on a regular basis? And, I, and it, I'm very proud to say uh, at least once a week I, I see an email which is, Hey, I was getting one bottle. Can you can can you send me two bottles because I want to share it with somebody or I want to be uh, consuming more? So absolutely, take care advantage of that discount. Right, and you've got eight ounce bottles. There are four ounce bottles. There are four ounce and two ounce sampler uh, kits. And uh, the mighty Aphrodite, of course, she loves the uh, the facial serum and the lip balm, which she found is seems to be anyway helping with her. Uh, her uh, allergies on her skin. She just rubbed a little bit of the lip balm right on her skin, and in five minutes, she said it was it was gone. Um, so, oh, sorry, we were, we were talking about this the the new longevity or toxicity study that you're hoping to do, and how this one is going to be sort of structured. Yeah. So, in that original study, a couple interesting uh, artifacts out of it. One of them was that. The rats weren't given any dosage, whether it was, you know, there was three groups, a water group, an olive oil group, and then really a a C60 Evo group. Um, They weren't given any dosage until month 10, and then they stopped receiving any dosage uh, at month 17. So it was a short seven months from beginning to end. So one of the nice things is uh, a 10-month-old rat is about a third of the way through its life. So us at about a third of our way through our life, like, you know, some people ask me, well, I'm, I'm a little bit older. Uh, is it too late? And, you know, the answer to that is no. Um, they stopped at month 17, right? So only dosing the rats for seven months. And you can imagine we have no intention of stopping the dosage. And so we're not sure how, you know, we're, we're theoretically the rats will live even longer if they continue to get more and more of the, of the product that seems to be extending their lives. Uh, we just don't know. We, 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 there's a lot of work that needs to be done on how much dosing is important. I've got customers, like ultra-running marathon customers, who are like, hey, uh, one serving is not enough. I barely noticed it. But when I hit three servings, uh, I, I was blown away. 
And so we've got some work to do on, on figuring that dosing, and, and we'll be focused on that as we're coming into this original study. And I just want to point out, like, the scientific process, as we mentioned, starts with anecdotal information. You create a theory. Uh, you actually do some research. You come up with the results. By the way, in that 2012 study, uh, the theory was it was toxic. <laughs> the result was it extended the rats by 90%, the lives of the rats by 90%. And then the next step is for some other research institution to actually do the same, to reproduce those results. Uh, nobody's stepped up to the plate since 2012 to do that. Uh, and, and again, as I feel is atypical of, of a supplement company, we are stepping up to do that research. And, and it is not uh, cheap research. It's very expensive research. And, and we actually have to have the payment for the whole Five plus year study up front because uh, because of uh, for kind of moral test reasons they don't want you to like get in the middle of a, of a study run out of money and then have to euthanize the test subjects no they want it you know in the books by the time uh, by, by the time you get started uh, talk to me about cats and dogs and horses because you've got pet sampler sets as well. Uh, and it's interesting because one of the great things about using uh, or or having your your pets take this, there's no placebo effect, right? Because a cat or dog, they don't understand that what they're taking is supposed to be good for them or not. Yeah, uh, in fact, one of my favorite testimonials to share uh, is is that uh, our largest, one of our largest distributors here in the city of Houston, uh, she originally ordered the product for her pet for her she's got a shih tzu uh and so she had no intention of ever taking it and she noticed such a profound difference in her pet that she started taking the product and you're exactly right like pets are not subject to the placebo effect they don't go oh i got that dropper of that oil this morning and so i should be friskier and 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 have more energy today uh no that's not what happens they they just they either feel friskier and healthier and run around more like a young dog uh, or they don't um and then i'm going to share another testimonial and and i want to be really cautious because it's it's very exciting and and i in no way want to imply that this is um uh, that the, you, some people have looked at the original research Notice that the rats given the C60 Evo formula, unlike the c control rats, none of them ha died with any tumors. And they've immediately jumped to a conclusion uh, which is inaccurate, and that is, oh, cure for cancer. And I want to say, no, no, that's not what anybody's saying about this. Uh, there's a big difference between dealing with a metastasized cancer and actually being a good cancer preventative, or in this case, a tumor preventative. Things like uh, nutrition, good sleep, exercise are known cancer preventatives so, and tumor pre preventatives. So in the context of that original study, uh, it looks like this product has the ability to be a tumor preventative, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, cancerous or non-cancerous. The study that's pretty amazing is uh, there's a, an influential family in, uh, in the Middle East that had a horse, it had a tumor on its hindquarters. Uh, the veterinarians actually 
didn't weren't honest with the owner of the horse and didn't tell her that the horse was because of this tumor the horse was going to need to be put down really quickly they didn't they didn't want to tell her the truth um she decided that she was going to use a, a protocol that we kind of collectively put together which is founded in ESS 60. Uh, that horse later talking to different veterinarians, I actually met one at, uh, at an occasion, showed him the pictures and he goes, Oh yeah, I know exactly what that is. Uh, horses that uh, are light haired horses get that tumor and it's usually a death sentence and they're usually put down within two weeks. Well, that horse is still with us. It's, it's four plus months now uh, that it's been taking only ours. She was very adamant about not wanting to do any other sort of um, kind of cutting edge treatment. She was just going to try this treatment, just going to try the ESS-60. Uh, that tumor ended up shrinking and that horse is still with us. And, you know, multiple veterinarians have told me and associates of mine that that horse should not have made it. Wow. Uh, now, is that is that put on topically or is that uh, taken orally for the horse? That was taken orally. And, and in All fact, right. there, there, in some of the images, I noticed that there were some open wounds around the tumor, and I suggested that they, they apply it topically. I don't know if they ever did apply it topically. Uh, the majority, the vast majority of the product was consumed by the horse. All right. Well, there you go. I, I take a tablespoon uh, every day. Is that is that about what do you take? Yeah, so my routine, um, one of the things I noticed uh, in the early days, I didn't have it as part of my routine, and it would invariably happen if I was in the middle of the day and I was feeling, you know, a, a yawny and I needed to take a nap or get another cup of coffee, I could always look back and, and remember that I hadn't taken my C60 Evo. Uh, so it's important to make it part of your routine. Whatever that looks like for you, make it part of your routine, get it incorporated every day. What I do now is I do basically a bulletproof coffee. Uh, it's, a, it's a famous kind of coffee that includes coffee, uh, ghee, and uh, MCT oil. We make an MCT oil. Actually, when you dissolve the ESS-60 molecule in MCT, it's a beautiful purple color. Uh, so we, we kind of, it's a, it's a, we're, we're working on kind of some branding to add it into a coffee, maybe even a decaf coffee because people report uh -huh. energy from a product. So for me, I've got the coffee, I've got the ghee, and I've got our MCT. Well, that's all mixing because the oils and the coffee don't mix, so you've got to froth them up. Uh, I actually take a teaspoon and a half of our olive oil product, have my coffee, and then for lunch I'm mo usually eating salads, and I put our avocado product on our salad. So um, we've got people who are taking sometimes less than a tea teaspoon, uh, and I mentioned the Ultra Runner and yourself are taking three times the regular serving, which is a tablespoon. Um, it's somewhere in there, and I can tell you, uh, I'll, if I've got a busy day and I know I'm doing a lot of brain work, uh, I'll take another dose or even two uh, in the middle of the day because I know it okay. is good because the energy boost it gives me. Fantastic. Chris, got to run. Thank you as always. Again, it's c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. We'll, uh, we'll talk again down the road, Chris. All the best. Take care, Richard. Thank you. Chris Burroughs, c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. All right. Thanks to Carlos and Ryan back next week. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll say goodnight. And uh, until then, be well. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.